0: Hello and welcome to the EG Property Podcast with me, EG editor Sam McCleary. And welcome to episode three of our latest run of Fundamentals of the Future recordings. This episode, recorded as part of a panel discussion at EG Sustainable Outcomes Make Better ESG Decisions event, dives into the S of ESG and questions whether measurement really matters, if a badge of some sort would drive more action and whether delivering social value is actually the core purpose of the built estate. Listen in for insights from Holly Brown, Director at Colliers, Helen Goulden, Chief Executive of the Young Foundation, and Vivian King, Head of Real Estate Social Impact at The Good Economy. Now, this episode was recorded outside of EG's specialist podcast studio, so the audio quality may not be quite as excellent as you've come to expect. I can promise, however, that the quality of the content most definitely is. Enjoy.
1: We're now moving away from the E of ESG towards the S and the the G. And this next um, panel discussion is going to be really, really fascinating because it is about understanding and measuring the S in ESG. I think it's a really difficult uh, question to answer in the time that we have available, but we'll do our best. Um, so please welcome to the stage to help uh, answer that question. Helen Goulden, uh, CEO of Young Foundation. You. Clapping is in the carriage, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Vivian King, Head of Real Estate Social Impact at the Good Economy. And Holly Brown, Director, Investment Property Management at Collier's. Mm. Yay.
2: Got the live series. (laughs)
1: Um, And apologies for the all-female panel uh, there. No
2: apology uh, needed. I know that
1: (laughs) that we should be more diverse than that, but um, uh, sometimes you just have the best people and they turn out to be women. Who would have thought? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so... um, well, let's get let's get straight into it. And I suppose um, I want to sort of pose the first question with, you know, why, why are we even talking about social, social value? Why is it so important that this isn't the um, forgotten letter in ESG? And Holly, because you're closest to me, I'm going to start
2: with you. I think it's a bit of a difficult one because as I work in commercial real estate um, and we are property managers for sort of custodians for our clients, commercial real estate across the UK. So we have very, very much face-to-face interaction with occupiers, guests at our buildings, and of course the community that, that 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 property interacts with. And I think, as an industry, commercial real estate in particular, which obviously this focuses on, I think we've really lacked um, on the social side. We've it's taken us a long time to get to where we need. Well, not even get to where we need to get to the right point, I suppose, for the for the E. And I think. As, a, as an industry, it's, it's taken some time to get here, and we're still very, very far behind on social. So I think it needs to be more prominent in these kind of events because it's equally as important as, as the E. And
1: probably harder to deal with, which I know we're gonna to get to in a minute, excuse me. Um, H- Helen, really interested to get your viewpoint as well, because obviously this isn't your world. This is so not my, my world at all, no. but, <laughs> but social value people is yeah, your world.
3: Yeah, yeah, and it's the more cross-sector collaboration and these sorts of events happen the better because there's all sorts of stuff that people in the charity and non profit sector can learn from you and vice versa. I think particularly when it comes to social impact where we've been for decades wrestling with some of the measurement things that obviously uh, are now endemic across different sectors. So I think I just take a broad view in that if you look around at all of the very big social challenges that we're currently facing, so not just COVID, not just the war in Ukraine, not just subsequent cost of living, not just the mini budget, or you know, all of the sort of turbulence that's followed. If you even look back to 2008, all of the problems that were accelerated under the pandemic were already there in our communities. You've now got 1.4 million people that are more in poverty than they were um, a while ago, people struggling to pay their bills massive sort of differences in spatial health inequalities across the country and in different neighbourhoods. So you take all of that together, basically the public sector and the health system are completely inequipped actually to deal with those problems, although the politicians would expect them to, and they are working hard with very little resource. The charitable sector doesn't have any kind of real, uh, really the investment into charities to enable that sort of work to be systemic rather than just dealing with and mopping up all of the things that have gone wrong in a community and so and then you have philanthropy where their funding is amazing, but actually it's a drop in the ocean compared to what the markets and the market power. So it becomes a really interesting question for us, which is, well, what's the role of a business in kind of creating social value in a place above and beyond what it might ordinarily think is its traditional remit? And where do the boundaries lie? And depending on which business you are, every different business will have a different answer to that question. And so the S of ESG is actually this huge open pioneering field where actually we're all learning as we're going. And the more... That we can have a conversation about what's real measurement of outcomes, not just outputs of social activities. That's where I get excited.
1: Fantastic, and that's a perfect segue, Vivian, to, to you and your role at the Good Economy with a focus on what real estate businesses can can do to add that value and have you,
4: that impact. Yes, um, thank thank you, and thank you for um, for hosting this, this this panel. And you know, to some extent, it it sort of hinges on well, why do we care? Why do we care? We care for all the reasons that you've been, you've been describing. Um, 12.5% of the UK population lives in poverty. The UK sits just in front of Turkey and Hungary in terms of spatial and social inequality in Europe and, and the US. That's not good enough for the, for us. That's not good enough for this country. We all need to be doing something about it. And no industry touches that in quite the same way as real estate. I think it was Alex mentioned this morning real estate is important because we all need it. We live in it. We work in it. We play in it. Everything everything we do depends on real estate. So that means real estate has immense power to, to forge change. And that's really where this industry has the opportunity to step in and make that change happen. Yes, because we shouldn't be a country that can tolerate those sort of injustices that I've talked about but also because actually it's better for our industry if we're able to do this because we're, a, we're better able to, to, to protect our value, we're better able to distribute the benefits that our assets create in it to a broader spectrum of those who can benefit from them. Yes the people who are going to occupy them but also those in the communities around them so why wouldn't we do it?
1: it I love that you talked about the immense power that this industry has, and it's something that I like to harp on about a lot uh, as well, because I, I believe it. Um, but then I'm, I'm taken back to Bim right at the beginning of the day where he said, you know, that's, it's simple, but it's not, not easy. And actually, it sounds like the solution is simple, but getting there is not easy. And, you know, we've, we've talked this morning about um, sustainability, and it's very easy, quote-unquote, to, to, to measure... Environmental impact, carbon has a has a cost. It has an, a number attached to it. The social v- value, social impact doesn't. It might have, but it might be completely different in one place to it is in another. So how do we how do we translate that into something that our industry can understand? Holly, sorry, Vivian. Holly first. Then Holly, <laughs> it. Um,
2: I think it's it's a difficult challenge, and as you said, there's there's really not one size fits all because every deprivation area, for example, around a particular asset or a portfolio that spans the UK will have different areas of need. So it is difficult to have a, a broad brush approach. Um, we find we've been able to take some, a, a Collier's specifically, and, and other firms of course as well, take some of that ownership on ourselves to, as, a, as, a, as a base sort of starting point and you know, everyone can do better, but as a starting point we've got quite a lot of social value related KPIs within our procurement for, for local contracts. So employing locally, paying live, real living wage, um, and, you know, who you employ as, you know, in that building, local employment in a local building. And also, you know, we've got our social value calculator, which I know we've spoken about before, um, which is able to measure it at our buildings, but that was based on the, the national TOMS, which I know not everybody thinks is, you know, the right answer for every building, but it allows you to start, and I think that's quite an important part. It's, and I, we should be sharing this as an industry that we can all help measure. It might not be the same measurement, but if we're at least creating a baseline, then, then we can get there. Um, and I think it's important to know where you are to make positive change rather than thinking that, you know, why are we here and what, what are we doing? Because I think we won't get it that way. Yeah. Yep.
1: Another important S word there, sharing, mm. talked about already. Um, Vivian, I wonder if you can add to that in terms of the, the measurement and, mm. and how difficult it is.
4: Mm. Well, it's not like it's the only thing that's difficult to measure in our (laughs) business lives. Um, I'm sure everyone in the room is engaged in marketing of some sort. How do you measure the return on investment from your marketing? Um, any, anyone who's involved in uh, regeneration or redevelopment of any scale is involved in placemaking. How do you, how do you measure the return on that? You don't, you don't simply not do it because it can't be measured. You, you, you do it because you instinctively know there's a benefit from it. So I, I'd say the same thing, don't be put off in creating social impact just because it feels intangible. Um, as against something as tangible as as carbon. And really it needs to be treated like any other uh, business imperative. So you you create a strategy for it. You have a social impact strategy and you manage and measure it in the same way you you would manage all your business deliverables. So there are are a number of tools and I think to some extent part of the problem is that there are so many ways of measuring these things that you don't really know whether you're coming or going. Um, and yes, the, the, the TOMS has been something that's been um, quite popular in, uh, in, in the real estate industry because, um, because you can apply a sort of pounds um, monetization to it. And that's, that feels good. That's the, the sort of um, uh, the language that we work in. So there will be situations where that does work, where you can actually um, in input and you can get a direct monetary value out of what you've done great. That's, that, that's, that's absolutely fabulous. But when you're t- ultimately talking about happiness and, w- and well-being, which I sort of think comes at the very sort of top of the mountain of creating social impact, how do you put a monetary value um, against those? So... So so one of the things that we do at The the Good Economy is we actually help organisations systemise something which is intangible, namely um, social impact. And we set up with them, we work on on frameworks, having identified what those important outcomes are, actually what do you want to change in the world and what what can your business in a material way actually make a difference to in the locations in which you're invested. So where do you you want to start with this, which which is fundamentally where you want to end? and then we'll look at what what are the activities what are the objectives you can actually deliver that can contribute towards those those big ticket outcomes um, and, and what you, what you find is you know that the people are are, are focused on'll um, be focused on education or they'll be focused on, on jobs or they'll they will be focused on 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 health or they'll be focused on on, on housing then there are, there are these things which are important to the different businesses and there are there are a number of indicators out there that you can choose from which enable you to legitimately assess whether or not you're actually moving the dial on on these things, whether it's the leveling up index or the thriving places index or the community needs index. They are all there. And systematically, you set your outcomes, you set your objectives, you put your KPIs and your targets in, just like you would any other uh, business imperative. And then you're able to measure as you progress, you're able to gather your data and you're able to see how you're actually creating that improvement that you set out to achieve. And then at the, at the end of your period, whether it's a quarter or a six months later, or a year, you come back You say, right, okay, we set those KPIs. What have we done against them? We set those targets, how have we done against them? Hmm. Let, let, let's have a look. And we, 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 we have a, um, a method which is um, drawn from um, published um, data. On, on how we ultimately um, measure and assess that performance but perhaps come to that a bit later yeah and helen
1: I, I know that um you've been doing some work looking at you know how much we're talking about about this looking at particularly among the sort of listed listed companies There's a lot of noise out there isn't isn't
3: there but are you seeing much action uh well i spent more than i wanted to two as a part of my summer reading the 2021 annual reports of all the FTSE 100 companies and working with a team of analysts to try and understand where different ESG prioritizers, priorities were being mostly headlined within financial performance. So could we get any sense of there being a parity of esteem between financial performance and social and environmental performance? And it's, um, it was a very interesting exercise. And you can see very clearly that the the focus is absolutely and squarely on the workforce, which is, given the labour shortages and actually the importance of mental health and well-being, that's absolutely fine. But the things that people are prioritising or choosing to shout about are things like gender diversity, which is great, nothing wrong with that, Um, net promoter scores, okay. employee engagement, good, you've got an engaged workforce. But as soon as you start getting into more more social territory that I would classify as being territory, it's almost non-existent. So three-quarters of the FTSE 100 talk about communities as being a key stakeholder alongside their workforce alongside their shareholders alongside often their pli- supply chain and give absolutely no real data on what they're trying to achieve how they're doing it whether the community actually wants and respects the priority that's been determined by the business and how they work together to drive and measure social impact so it's a really um, and it sounds like a criticism it's not at all it's just that it just demonstra- demonst- demonstrates the sort of length of the journey that we have to go on I definitely think there is huge value, and I would say this as a charity that works mostly in and alongside communities, in essentially understanding what the needs and priorities of the community is as your sort of equivalent scope three activity. So you go out there and understand what do they care about and bending either a bit of your business strategy or your employee volunteering and your charitable donations and fundraising towards the things that are cared about. And when it comes to measurement, really, to be honest, um, the only really valuable measurement tool is whether the community believes themselves to be in a place that is trusted, where they have a sense of pride, belonging, they feel safe, they, they have shared spaces to live, work, play, and so on. And so it's, I think, the, so for example, the work that we did um, with the Barking Riverside development, which is where you've got a sort of indigenous neighbourhood, which is, and all the people living in that neighbourhood are going to see this huge, massive change all around them. We trained community researchers, which are just ordinary people that go out and ask questions and reach into the spaces and places where people like me and professionals just wouldn't be respected or trusted, and find out what matters, like what does a well good place community look like and how does that what's the role of Barking Riverside in, in making that happen? They then co-created a social value framework, which then Barking Riverside said, Okay, well we'll sign up to that, and every year those community researchers go out and they hold in some degree a Barking to account for the delivery of those social outcomes that they themselves have prioritised so I think although it's messy and interactive and social and not easy the role of community as a stakeholder I think has to be a fundamental part of any credible social measurement. And that should be gold dust
1: to this industry right but you know here at all the people industry you know and we you know everything is based on apparently talking to the communities understanding doing that doing that outreach so that we develop valuable assets but clearly
3: it's not quite happening. I think, well, I think it's quite scary to go out. You open a Pandora's box in some ways because you hear things that you didn't know but are probably a bit discomforting. Uh, You hear things that uh, you wish you hadn't heard because you can't sort of go back and not hear the things that you've heard, and that can feel uncomfortable. Um, And you can hear things that you have absolutely no control over, and then you're left with someone saying, I want this, and you saying, well, we can't deliver that. But... The, actual, the trusted, extended, sort of sustained relationship with a community is so valuable because actually you don't need to do the social work at that point. All you need to do is to create the conditions that enable people to exercise their civic muscle, which they do in great, great deal of enthusiasm and effect. So if your job is in the built environment is also building a, a thriving place where people feel a sense of influence and agency and involvement and they trust their neighbours and so on, I mean, that's 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 the, that's got to be the pinnacle of what a great built environment looks like surely and a successful one yes
1: Ho- holly do you take um and sorry to put this on your shoulders but do you take any responsibility for for that you know working in an advisory role um, do you do you take that on board your, yourself to have those conversations with with
2: developers with occupiers with the, the end worker end user of a building absolutely and i think it's become even even larger priority in the sense that particularly within the property management department. We're trying to work with our clients far, far earlier in a development process. Typically, you get handed a building that's complete ready to go and you get told this is how the building is run, whereas when you get involved in the beginning, you can have those conversations with the developers, with the architects, with people who will be in the area, the local communities, the deprivation groups, charity groups, well in advance of that building coming to practical completion. Because almost by that point, it's it's all the building's going to do what the building's going to do and it's, it's, it, it's harder to control it in that way so for us it's been a big shift in make understanding so with a, within the property management department understanding what are the needs of that building um, and making sure that it's, it's not just one event a year that it's continued ongoing support for those groups and making sure that for example when we are measuring what the social value of that particular building is that it's aligned completely if not on a trajectory to align completely with the deprivation needs of that particular area. And and as an industry we're we are exceptionally privileged in the in the in the commercial real estate industry that there's absolutely no doubt about that and I think we can all do a lot more in our day to day not just I mean, every individual in every single office building for example in 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 London in the UK so I think from property management's perspective it's it's having those conversations from the beginning so not understanding just the developers overall goals but that those goals are 100 percent aligned and accretive to and positively influencing that that community
1: and is there a different language there that you have to use with different different players (laughs)
2: yes (laughs) um very much so it it is it it's it's hard one and i I was just as as you're both speaking thinking if if what we're seeing now quite a lot particularly in the sustainability area is we're now finally getting to a point where people can see a return on investment Hmm. people like to see a pounds per square foot return on investment on you know, effectively, what a lot of people would deem a cost. Let's say, in sustainability, if we're being honest with ourselves, not in my opinion, but that's you know what a lot of people see it as. We're nowhere near that. We are nowhere near that in social value. We're not even even close. But we need to be. And you know, as we was saying before, the, <laughs> the real estate industry loves a really shiny badge. You know, we love a badge. You know, are we gold this, platinum that? And it's effectively just a marketing tool. A good one. It is a good one. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it's, it's a marketing tool, and it's a balance of to get sort of stakeholder buy-in from you know, very senior groups in whether it's developers or, or investors, sometimes you do need that carrot. And I don't think it's right, but unfortunately, that's sometimes what you need. Is a badge for social value the right thing? We can debate it, I'm absolutely sure we will, but is it better to do something than nothing? Um, and would we spend more money just getting the badge and actually contributing to the community? That That is a, a, a serious question. But I think we need to, um, you've, we've got to, take the time to explain to everybody what that means. And from a very privileged position, it's, it can be very, very hard to, to even think about all of the, the issues that you've mentioned. But with groups like this and everyone in this room, we hopefully can get to a closer place with that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, let, let's, stay, let's stay with that. The, does it matter if we give a nice shiny badge to someone but, and they get, they get to the place that we want them to get to because they get the shiny black badge, regardless of their motivation, Does it it really matter if the outcome is
3: is the same? Helen? No, it doesn't matter at all. Whether it's a material motivation or a moral motivation, as long as you get to the right place. Uh, What we've learned with working with a range of different people from across the sector, big and large institutions, is that through the process of doing something, you come to care. You 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 are opening yourself up to thinking in a slightly different way and feeling in a slightly different way. And so it might not be your intensive motivation, but you will get there. I do think that the badge... And I think you could easily, easily, could you, you could construct one in this room and, and understand what the kind of scope one, scope two, scope three equivalents of GHG in a social context could be. And you could make it a very much a sort of, we're all on a journey. We don't really know what, the, what great looks like, but we'll know that we're putting one foot in front of the other. So, but I think the, the point is, but for, certainly for me, some of the issues that are prevalent in our community, in the communities in which we work, which are the most deprived in the country, um, you can't measure impact by the quarter. You can't measure it by the year. You're probably looking at a generation, if not two generations, before you would really touch the sides of having really meaningful change to spatial and personal inequalities. And so the sort of long haul, you know, given that actually, unlike politicians, people in your sector, I think, do take a much longer term view in the ROI over 20, 25 years, applying that mindset to a social impact, I think, would be incredible. So if you look at, uh, you know, if you go into Luton or Knowlesley or wherever you go, you will find that the university and the health integrated care system, uh, the local authority and the big sort of anchor institutions are becoming much more aligned on what their kind of core priorities should be and taking that long-term view now nobody there is going to be able to attribute entirely their intervention to the outcome but they can certainly measure their contribution mm-hmm. and there are you know those tools that really will show you the needle shifting on big issues over the course of a sort of generation or two so um, yeah I think a badge is great but it, it's a badge that marks a pro- process not an output If that makes sense and Vivian, is a badge good because you can take it away as well? And one
1: of the things that yeah. I always worry about with social value is you might have someone coming early on in the stage and they, you know, they'll create all this social value, but very few people in, in our industry hold on to those assets for a long long time. What happens to the next person who, who comes in? Can we take that badge away to force people to continue to add social values so, and have social impact?
4: Well, one of the things that we do look at is um, whether or not um, an organisation has um, made a commitment to what we call a responsible exit. Mm. Um, so, when it's, so, if it's going to, if it's if it's if it's uh, uh, holding is going to be for whatever five years or, or so, have they made that commitment? Now, that's that's not to say it's a binding, contractual, legally required, and uh, so on um, requirement. But but nevertheless, that commitment is there. So it will it will cause people to think about it at the relevant time. So the way we, um, the, the sort of, I suppose the badge in, in a way that, that, that we apply, one of, the, one of the tools we use is called the Impact um, Management Platform, um, and that is a means of assessing how an organisation has done. In relation to the various outcomes it wants to help drive, not deliver, um, because you can't contribute... You know you, you can't attribute changing the world um to yourself um but but it goes through something which we call an a b and c um and an, and an a is avoiding harm and a b is, is 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 benefiting society and a c is contributing to solutions and 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 so organizations will be on a journey of traveling through that a and the b and the c and and there will be parts of the of what they're doing which are contributing to different outcomes at different levels so there you do you do you do get the badge and you have the badge for as long as you're assessing what you're doing. If you stop assessing what you're doing, you don't know whether you've got the badge anymore. Um, In the fund world, um, um, we've got sort of Article 9 and Article 8 and Article 9 funds. Um, Again, that's another form of badge. That's a labeling and that's actually becoming um, a lot more rigorous with the FCA having just um, launched a consultation. Um, on um, sustainability disclosure requirements, and there there will be there will be more badges. They're suggesting three three badges, which again are, are taking organisations through a sort of a, a good, a, a better, and a better still. Um, and yes, that is, is largely focused. On, it's focused on the fund world, but at the end of the day, those are the investors into the property companies who are actually the, those who are creating the, the, the development, or they're investing directly. So that's going to be a big influence, I think, on our on our industry, and it, it covers both environmental and um, and social impact. So yeah, I th- I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I think um, whatever it takes because at the end of the day this is about people. It's about the experience that people have and I don't suppose they care particularly whether or not you're driven by getting a badge or not. They just want to know that they've got a better home or they've got a chance of learning a skill or they've got an opportunity of education. Um, or they've simply got their own basic amenity needs being met in a a place because it's not so high end that they've been driven out of it. Um, I'll move on from the fantasy badge shortly, but one
1: hurdle I suppose is in the way, and we touched on this earlier, is social value here in Euston is going to be measured very differently to social value in Manchester, Leeds, wherever it it might, might be. So there's a problem in that we can't give the same badge to everyone. So how do we, how do we navigate that? Holly?
2: I've, I've sort of created a lot for my own back, bring up this badge <laughs> because I don't have the answer and I wish, I wish I did have the answer. What I think, whether it's a, a badge, quote-unquote, or not, is I think what everybody could probably start doing, and I'm sure everyone on this panel would absolutely be happy to help anyone who would be willing to do it, is get a baseline, get your own badge, get your personal badge for your building or your portfolio, wherever that may be, and start to measure what you are currently doing and whether it's a, you know, it's a qualitative, you know, are people surrounding my building happy, whether it's questionnaires, whether it's a pound per square foot, whatever you can measure, do measure and create a baseline so that you know where you are today and in a year's time or, or six months, You can go back and say what have i done to get to the kpis that i've set out and how have i got there and if it's your own badge for your own building i think that's enough it doesn't even (coughs) ideally we get to a place where there's a very good framework which answers all these questions but i think everybody individually regardless of where their commercial asset is can probably do that now um, if they spend the time and the energy to do it so i think that's a starting point if you can then get that across your portfolio absolutely fantastic but i think the baseline is probably the most important bit to know Am I, am I contributing anything? If I am, what is that? Mm. And what am I gonna do over the next year, 10 years, 20 years, to make sure that this, people surrounding and impacted by this building are in a better position than when, than when I took my ownership. And I think that's probably the best place to start.
1: But yeah, perhaps that is the, the start of the roadmap. If everyone does that, we can bring all that data together and then create um, perhaps that big big shiny badge <laughs> For, for everyone, but people need to care. And I, and I wonder how we really get that message across. You know, when we talk about the climate, um, there's a very f- frightening story to tell that, um, you know, children have nightmares about parents have nightmares for their children about. We don't seem to have that story around social value. Vivian, you, you gave some statistics that are, that are scary, um, but it, it doesn't seem to be resonating with everyone in the way that the, um, uh, the climate change story has. So what do we need to do to make it resonate?
4: So we have uh, coalesced around the, um, the E because climate change is so, um, uh, uh, so, so, so present. Um, it's also got a um, few regulations around it, which helps. We talked about this earlier on. Um, so that's very much part of it. I think um, there was a turning point for the S or for awareness of social impact and the potential for it during um, the experiences we had through COVID and um, lockdown, and that sense of responsibility that we had beyond our own doorstep. And I think that that hasn't gone away. So there is there is a there is a sort of steady upward curve in. The sense of responsibility that corporates have as part of their fiduciary duty increasingly incorporating social in what they can deliver and you've obviously done the research on this and the findings are you know not what everyone in this room would like to hear and as i say it's a steady upward curve this isn't this isn't going to be a great leap but i think we did all get a bit of a kicking um, in, in terms of understanding what our responsibilities are um, as a consequence of COVID. And that is something that is, is now progressing. It's, it's not going away. And partly it's because we are starting to appreciate what we're able to do. Yes, it is intangible. Yes, it isn't diff- it's not as easy to measure because you can't, it hasn't got a number naturally associated with it. But it is something you can do if you, if you think laterally about what you're trying to achieve in a place and you're actually wanting that asset to be as successful as it possibly can be surely ensuring that to the extent that you can you're creating a social equilibrium in that place because you're able to do that that's that's surely the logical outcome that you want to achieve
3: thank you Helen how do we care more yeah (laughs) (laughs) um well the, the, the evidence is really clear that you have uh, more empathy with people if you know them, basically. If you know someone's trans, you'll feel more empathetic and supportive of the trans movement or, or, any, or any other sort of, kind of disability or anything like that. And so the, the built environment, I think, has huge potential. We spend lots of time looking at the ways in which people, you know, they are segregated is a strong word, but if you go where I'm from, a bit like Beth, down Bethnal Green Road, you will see very clearly that there, there are spaces and places for some people and there are spaces and places for other people. And the only place, really, where people really from different age, class, race, ethnicity, bumble together is in Tesco's or <laughs> on the pavements, essentially, or possibly Weaver's Fields, which is at the back. And the, that's, the, that way, that's where you get things of otherness. It's where people sort of don't trust each other as much. And actually, by and large, in this in sort of kind of northern sort of European and and then global north, if you like, we've used our wealth to avoid the inconvenience of other people, basically. So we'll, you know, uh, fast track through an airline queue or we'll have two televisions because we don't want to avoid avoid the conversation or the argument about (laughs) who watches what channel show. And we have definitely done that. In Nordic countries, they haven't done that so much. They've used it much more to create shared spaces and civic spaces. And so it's a part of our work which with the British Academy, which is around kind of how do you... What are the sort of right conditions and how much do you need social infrastructure? So when you're building buildings, you've got places where people will bump into each other more and you've got lots of sort of uh, opportunities to meet, learn, create, work, do things together with people that you wouldn't. That is what creates community and our researchers who are as I said just ordinary people very often far from the labor market very often with no qualifications the the kind of key two components of that is are they curious about the world around them and are they empathetic to other people? And we build on those two competencies. And you can, we do that through a sort of business leadership course as well. And so you, you, can, you can grow that feeling of empathy. The trouble is, of course, is that we're so, sort of, there's so many inflationary pressures bearing down on us, it's actually very easy to say, actually, I need to look after me and my family. And charitable donations have dropped off the clear 40% and 50% reductions in food bank donations. So the very point at which we need to be sort of leaning out that all of our human instincts are encouraging us to sort of feel scarcity and not share with others. So that's the biggest sort of paradox we have to work with, I think. Okay, so t- time for this industry to be extraordinary I love that, yes. and
1: lean, lean in. Uh, I'm going to throw out to the audience now. I have some more of my own, but um, I don't want to hog, hog the mic. So any questions? One right here. Can we have a microphone down the front, please? I'm loving, by the way, how you're all putting your hands up. Thank you. <laughs> It's much much better than me just reading off Slido here. So thank you for engaging with us.
5: Hello. I'm Paul from Carbon Profile. Um, I had a couple of points, really. So... What I've seen in the sustainability world and the, the kind of environmental world, especially across the corporate field, is that it's very much being driven generationally, that you'll find that the, the younger generations are really boosting the messaging. They won't work for a company that's not able to demonstrate their sustainability credentials. You know, they're interested in finding out how environmentally, you know, professional the, the, the corporate organization is. Are you seeing that? Are you seeing any trans, transformation around that generational piece?
3: Well, I, just very clear, I employ sort of 40-odd sort of um, uh, people under about 35, and they entirely... I mean, we're a charity, so we're, we're a values-driven organisation that way, but it's, they drive us entirely in terms of holding sort of us all to put to account on that. And I, would, I definitely think it is generational, uh, and it's a powerful force. I think the expectations and the entitlements sometimes become a bit challenging, but, you know, they're definitely a force for good.
4: So um, last week... Yeah, last week um, Sam and EG ran their um, uh, presentation forums for the, the Future Leaders program that, that EG runs, and I would say I'd say 70% of those presentations focused on this topic. Um, they either it either was the topic or it, it featured very heavily in the topic. So those are the those are the future leaders of our industry, and that's what they're all over.
2: I also think finally on that within the very much the commercial real estate change is driven ultimately if you're an owner investor by, by either what your investors want or what your occupiers want so if those two groups care more then change gets made and I think certainly that generational push into the occupiers and their sort of requirements and demands of the space which they work in has absolutely made change but I think we also need it coming from the investors' side as well to make sure that both elements are being pushed to make positive change. But we're seeing it, but it's it's not enough to make as immediate change as we need today.
5: And then just a kind of follow up point on the on a on a similar bit really that having over the over the last few years done a lot of public procurement that you've started oh. you started to see that social value piece trickle in more that you know if you're going for a project over x amount then you have to be able to demonstrate what social value that you're, you're giving back through that public procurement process is there a is there a role for us in in the corporate world in this space so you know that that health and safety sustainability etc has been driven by putting somebody in a position in the corporate world making it their responsibility i guess is is that the next the next step
4: I don't think social impact is going to progress if we simply rely on philanthropy. You've talked about charity donations. It's got to be the responsibility of the corporate world. Um, yes, where we can partner um, with the public sector, we should be doing that. But ultimately, I think it's the private sector that's going to benefit fundamentally. Yes. We are some way off having that silver bullet of demonstrating all of the value that we create is actually attributable to our bottom line. But we know that that's the direction of travel and we know that we need to be creating value for future generations because that's what the expectation is going to be. So yes, I'd agree very much so. This is our responsibility and our opportunity.
1: Um, we, I'll come right here in just a second. I think, you know, it's, it's about embedding it, isn't it, in how we do business, which, um, thankfully, our final panel will be all about so we can learn how to, how to do that. But, yes, question right here at the front.
4: Um, Chris Bunn from the Intelligent Building. Social impact now is starting to be a subject in certain organisations. From the panel's point of view, how do you create dedicated social impact people within development organisations? We had H.B. Revis on a panel earlier, they have a dedicated social impact person. How do we, as an industry, encourage people to have that role within an organisation? Because I think without that, we can't grow.
2: I think, uh, so at Colliers, for example, we have a customer experience team, and, and those are often a lot of people who, who sit on sites with building managers, um, front of house teams, and they're all very much trained in this regard. And within our, back to your question on, the, on procurement, we, we absolutely require social value metrics to be made if we're, you know, instructing anyone who will work at any, at any of our buildings. It would be ideal to have an individual dedicated to this, so there's absolutely no doubt about that and I think there's a lot of larger investors, developers who who have the scope to do that, but the, the one-off investor who owns you know, well, one retail shop, they, they may not have, have the same requirements. So I think as an industry we absolutely need to be sharing our successes. There's some things which you get your badge and you keep it and you put it on your building and it's okay for you to do that but with this it's too precious to not share. If anybody finds the silver bullet we all need to see it. So I think that that's, that's on us all to, to make sure that if we, if we get a win we share it and how we're doing it um, so that the companies who don't have the capacity for that individual person can still benefit from it and everybody individually is upskilling themselves to do that not relying on just one person
1: i think that's a brilliant call out and share if you if you know the solution if you have a solution share it because um, together solution. we can do much better <laughs> uh the, um, this side of the room any questions are excellent i just hope it, i was wor- worried that there was a quiet side there's a question <laughs> right here kind of the middle but we'll say this side
5: I'm leaning to the left over here. (laughs) Um, um, My name's Jonathan Silver from Designers Silver & Co. Um, I'm just wondering how you feel. We've got ES&G, which has been around a long, long time, and I just wonder what the percentage balance is of how much of our conversations are in ES&G and how that might vary between our 20-year-olds, our 40-year-olds, our 60-year-olds, in your experiences.
4: Well, I think, you know, we've we've talked about the fact that, that the E has got this imperative because of... Uh, climate change, which we're observing, which we're experiencing at a personal level and which we're subject to through regulation and, um, and, and, and legal change and, um, and uh, financial pressure. So, so that, has been, um, that has been dominant. It wasn't always, I mean, you know, I started to get involved in sustainability um, back in sort of the early 2000s and then, you know, then it was a struggle to get it onto the, dis- the discussions um, but it has very much dominated for, for those reasons. I would say governance, well, and governance has been around for a, a long, long time. Um, it's just a question of whether or not you're talking about governance in the context of the E and the E and the S. Um, and if you are talking about that, then that is probably as fresh or as aged um, as the E has been in relation to the E and as the S is in relation to the S. But I think that, that social impact has is now becoming much more of a topic of conversation it's it's more it's more challenged therefore it needs more conversation we've got to share the uh, understanding and the intelligence that we have in order to be able to do better and we've got to be pushing this topic if we're actually going to succeed with it and i do think it's our corporate responsibility to be pushing it
5: do you think there's a difference in age people's attitudes with age
4: I don't know what's what's the view in this room. I don't know what the sort of average age in the room is, but we're all still here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we've talked about the fact that you know that, that, that there is that there has been a generational push, and if you are looking to attract and retain talent, then it is an important aspect of of doing that. But I don't think it's the exclusive domain of sort of no. the under-25s? No, it's not. And
3: actually, um, if you look at people like Lloyds Banking Group and people like LNG, they don't really talk about ESG when they when in they, the they'll, they'll report on it, but they won't talk about it. They talk about their purpose. What is their purpose and being a purpose-driven organisation? And you can, we can sort of have varying views about how you know, effective that is. But I think they they definitely see it as the ESG is one thing. And if you even look at just environmental... And the governance bit is the governance of the social and environmental and the economic. If you look at sort of the race to net zero, our research from Nuffield basically shows that if you do transition to net zero fully... Uh, and we all achieve that, 20% of our population is going to be economically and socially disadvantaged by that. So we see the rise of something called a just transition, a socially just transition, where you're making uh, decisions and strategizing based on balancing social and economic. So if you, if you're a big investor like LNG, when you go in and have that sort of social mission of, you know we need much more affordable housing there will also be a conversation about well we're going to have a negative environmental impact because of that housing and so there's all sorts of trade-offs which absolutely means that your governance needs to be robust strong ability to tackle complex problems and kind of make different different trade-offs that aren't going to be completely satisfying to all counts so i would really over time what i'm really allowed to see is that the social and environmental aren't seen as separate things they are both fundamentally the same parts of the same coin Fantastic. We
1: have sadly run out of time. I'm sorry, Alex. Um, but uh, uh, we've covered so much in such a short, short amount of time. And I just want to um, cause I'm go over because I've gone over already. Um, just each of you just give us one one sentence that everyone in this room can can use because, you know, h- how do we make that ENS bonded to, together? Um, and how do people take that away? Holly, um, let's go along the line.
2: I'd say just try and get to baseline. (laughs) (laughs) If you, as I said before, we can share help as much as we can to try and help anyone get to what baseline looks like, and just do it, start today, because the community is impacted by your, your buildings. They need it today. They don't need it when legislation finally pushes us to. It's got to be today.
1: Fantastic, take action now. Thank you, Helen.
3: There is incredible power in cross-sector partnership, and everything that you are learning, someone else has already learned, probably in the social investment impact investing space, probably, or in the progressive, some of the better not-for-profits. So engage as much as you can with people who have already been trying to do this for like 20, 30
4: years. Fantastic, take action now, collaborate. Vivian, last one. Um, The forward thinking amongst us are already um, on this train and it's left the station. So they are changing mindsets and they are building skills. And in doing that, they're creating benefit for occupiers of their assets and the communities around their assets and ultimately financial value for their investors.
1: Thank you very
4: much. Please, everyone, put your hands together for Helen,
1: Vivian and Kelly.